Welcome to the Denver Deep Dive Podcast. We are your hosts, Charlie Cummings and Lorenzo Gonzalez. Thanks for joining us. Our focus is on bringing awareness to the expert knowledge, passion, and personalities that have been and continue to be part of Denver's vibrant growth. We'll be exploring commercial real estate, cryptocurrency, cannabis, food and beverage, and health and wellness, along with the experts operating enthusiastically in each space. Every episode will showcase the individuals impacting these arenas, what they see as industry participants, and what new insights you can take away for yourself and your current ventures. We know we aren't the only shamelessly curious people out there, so if you love learning for its own sake, you're in the right place. Follow us on social media, wherever you consume your podcast. Welcome to episode number 10. Today we have Joe Reben and Nick Belvis joining us from Reben and Belvis LLP. They operate a U.S.-based law firm that has assisted in developing numerous successful blockchain startups domestically and internationally. They offer individualized legal strategies for your blockchain-based endeavors. And this all started because they've taken their extensive tax and business expertise and applied it to the emerging blockchain and cryptocurrency markets. Guys, welcome to the show. Thanks very much. Thanks for having us. So I guess the, the first question we have to ask is, how do you kind of simplify and summarize, you know, the, the blockchain and cryptocurrency space to people that you're working with or that are approaching you for business? Because this is an area that everyone has an opinion. There are always strong opinions <laughs> for or against. Uh, and obviously you guys have very specific uh, legal tax business and kind of regulatory understandings. So you're actually, your job is to cut through the noise to understand what to actually do. Sure. Uh, so just to lead off on that, uh, the way we look at it is, of course, it's still an emerging infant market. Bitcoin's been around for 10 years, literally just celebrated its 10-year anniversary of the release of the white paper uh, two days ago. So it's a very small, very tiny market in the grand scheme of things. Mm -hmm. We look at it as a changing, ever-evolving market that, you know, five minutes later, laws can be changed in the country (laughs) and you don't really know what to expect. Uh, For instance, one of the clients we're working with in Malta, Maltese government just released a three-part blockchain uh, law and a package basically throughout their parliament and throughout the EU that's really attracting people to come to their country. That is still being, uh, still evolving rather. And um, basically, okay, sorry. Basically, there's a 12-month backflow of uh, information coming in underneath that law that it can still change, can still evolve, and we're kind of working with that as we speak. So that is a currently evolving law. Domestically, the SEC is doing the same thing. They keep mm-hmm. releasing advisories uh, and kind of guiding the public opinion where to go, guiding companies right. where to go, but they haven't released anything definitive. So we're still sitting right sort of like on the nice edge of where the law is and where it stands, and we have to kind of shift with it. That's one of the benefits of being a small firm. Mm-hmm. Don't have any? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that our ability to position ourselves both internationally and domestically has make a, made us very attractive for some folks that are actually based in the United States, want to get into this industry, and are really fearful of how they're uh, supposed to proceed with U.S. investors. Um, the SEC regulation, I mean, since uh, it came into play, is primarily the primary goal is to protect the investors from any uh, Nigerian princes, right? Um, so that's really still in play. We have, like Joe said, just advisory opinions. We don't have law here. Uh, right. So until we do, the best way we can position ourselves is wake up in the morning and read all the headlines, get involved in the uh, Uh, regulations that are coming out. I think even on the last day of October, Malta released something in the afternoon, uh, providing a 12 day extension to what exactly what we were doing. Mm -hmm. So if our firm wasn't really uh, 
up on the international law and were just focused on the United States, we would have completely missed that. Wow. So this is stuff that's like literally unfolding minute by minute almost. Every day. Yeah. Every day. And we have to research multiple jurisdictions considering we have clients in Singapore, Hong Kong, Switzerland, Malta, mm -hmm. the U.S., the Caribbean. I mean, we have clients all over the world. So right. if one jurisdiction releases a new law and it's not widely known or widely, or, you know, widely followed, we still have to follow it based on where we're domiciled for that company. Yeah, right. So it's, it's kind of, it's very interesting. Love it. Yeah. Well, so I'm sure a question that a person's going to have is, okay, great. Like that all sounds fine, but you know, <laughs> what is cryptocurrency? What is blockchain? How do you guys kind of view it? You know, your thesis and then you know, how are you kind of explaining that to someone? Because I think it, it's kind of become one of those like buzzwords to say my company does a blockchain based blah, blah, or we have, a cryptocurrency based insert statement here. Sure. Um, like how, how, how do you guys kind of look at or explain those two concepts? I think the practical application of uh, distributed ledger technology changes from person to person, right? Mm -hmm. uh, we work with folks that are looking at the seed to sale for uh, inventory management for uh, groceries, produce sections, cannabis. Um, that's something that can be integrated horizontally to almost every single industry, right? We were talking just before how the port of Rotterdam is testing blockchain technology. Um, so before 2017, I think the headlines were very misleading, saying that Bitcoin is an investment vehicle. Right. The technology that Bitcoin and Ethereum is based on are actually being put into play by entrepreneurs that are looking for practical approaches to blockchain technology. Um, so you're not when we went to the Delta Summit the first of October in Malta, um, we were meeting with the financial authority there. We were meeting with different uh, law firms. Not one single piece of the uh -huh. conference was focused on investing. Right. It was 100% practical approaches of distributed ledger technology. And once you get into the groundwork of really what that is, once you digitize your ledger, right, it is what it's stating it is, um, right. you can find that approach and that application for your own business. Um, so as a law firm, how we explain blockchain to other people, uh, just yesterday I met with a representative that's working with the Colombian government. And we had to kind of explain to him how he could use blockchain um, technology to as an um, investment vehicle for others to fund his um, endeavor, and, as well as providing a service between government and freelance contractors that are looking to pave roads, right. um, fix under uh, fix housing, anything that the government can contract out, they can use blockchain technology to find the right party to implement what they need to do. So it works on both ends of the spectrum. Right. And I think to expand on that as well, need counseling very important. The way we look at blockchain technology and the value that it holds for businesses is very different than the way we look at it as personal traders. Because uh, we do trade, we have been trading for years and we do enjoy that part of it. And we do look at it as a store of value and as a vehicle to make you know make money because clearly people are going to be in this to make money. You're not going to invest in crypto or blockchain if you're, you know, you're going to lose money. No one wants to do that. So the way we look at it as individual traders is we do try to find projects that we think are a high success rate in an emerging field leaders in their field, or do have a store of value like Bitcoin does as a investment, as an investment, sorry. However, like Nick said, for our law firm, it's very different. We're looking at projects that have long-term stability. We're looking at projects that have, are really changing the world in a way that you know we want to be involved with. Right. We're looking for projects first and foremost that aren't scams because as a law firm in an emerging field, last thing we want to do is put our name on something that we know or we have a bad feeling about is not going to be you know upfront 
And uh, we've pulled our name out of multiple projects before because of this and kind of done our research. And you have to do your front-end research, of course, before you sign on with the projects because they could promise you the moon. And then turn around and, you know, once you dig a little deeper, hey, the CEO or the chief financial officer or something like that has been in hot water before for, you know, previous either Forex projects or crypto projects. And then, you know, you want to not associate with that from the beginning and make a smart decision. So there, there's a lot of different uh, angles that we look at, at crypto technology, how it's used, and how we're jumping into the field. Awesome. Well, this is a very specific thing to have immense expertise in and also a very specific thing to just kind of pursue. How did you guys come to the realization that there was an opportunity for you specifically in the blockchain and cryptocurrency space? Uh, sure. So basically it came about from uh, just friends, really word of mouth. Uh, when we started trading, a few years ago, it was a much smaller community, mm-hmm. and we had some friends in Denver that were early investors in Bitcoin, early investors in Ethereum, so much so that they were in the ICOs for both of them. Wow. Uh, they were buying, you know, Bitcoin at cost averages of two to three bucks, <laughs> uh, Ethereum at cost averages of 50 to 70 cents. Yeah. They were experts in the field. They were also programmers, developers, and support for major companies in the crypto uh, and blockchain industry before we met them. So it was just really happenstance. Uh, we met them through friends at baseball games, uh, you know, outings, things like that. Just, just normal <laughs> just things. Being, being a social just human. Being <laughs> social. Exactly. And, and uh, you know, whenever it was mentioned, hey, we need attorneys for our projects. We need legal counsel for our projects, people that we can trust, people that have traded mm-hmm. before. They already knew that we knew how to trade. They already knew we understood the markets. And it was just an easy uh, connection to make an easy in, really. So we just started working on these projects, developed our competence, of course, as the market developed. Um, and as these advisories came down, you know, we've always, like Nick we were saying before, we stay on top of them. But developing that confidence and really believing in the market was one of the biggest things and kind of networking around that. Right. Anything you want to add? Yeah, absolutely. Just being in the Denver market, we're very lucky, lucky to be here. Um, Joe and I have a lot of extracurricular activities outside of being attorneys. Um, so we're also entrepreneurs ourselves. Uh, the law firm is not the first business either of us have started. So when we go around and see opportunities just in general, uh, we like to you know, capitalize upon that and help everybody out. Fantastic. Well, this is one of my favorite questions, but I think it's going to be really, really relevant here because this is such a new space. What are some of the, the, the seemingly common sense things that you see people messing up on when they say, <laughs> I want to start a blockchain-based business. Mm-hmm. I want to invest in some sort of cryptocurrency. Uh, what are some of the things that you've seen? Or, you know, companies, for example, when they're looking at, like, how right. do they you know, take advantage of this technology? What are some of the things that you see people? Yeah, we, we see a lot of folks making um, mistakes that are not too dissimilar to folks that make mistakes every any business they start, right? Um, they're undercapitalizing themselves. They're not providing a realistic roadmap, and they haven't done enough research into who they want to bring in to their team. Right. Um, Even just with the uh, European regulations that are coming down, you need a data protection officer, right, Mm -hmm. for your technology company if you're storing data. Those are the types of things that business owners don't aren't really kept up on. That's an entire position that the European Union is mandating for if you store data, you have to have that. Right. Um, So that's really where we can come in as both consultants and attorneys. In our, in our space that, you know, we've worked with folks that try and uh, bootstrap their blockchain-based company for $5,000. It lasted about a week and a half, oh. I think. Um, so if you're able to do that, you know, efficiently, economically speaking, then more power to you. Um, but it is a, you have to have an engineer, you have to have a dev team. And I think that blockchain-based engineers are some of the highest paid engineers right now in the space. Um, yeah, and to just expand upon that, 
hire a good legal team. This is not even shilling. This is just, we talked to so many people that are like, oh, we started our ICO, which is an initial coin offering. Very similar to an IPO in the Forex world. Right. If you were a Forex company or a, a you know a normal company, would you launch an IPO without a legal team behind you? Of course not. The SEC would be breathing down your throat. A lot of these crypto companies will launch, and then it's we call the ready, fire, aim approach. The aim part, of course, and the fire turned around uh, because you know there's the, we we talk to them. We say, oh, we need a legal team. Okay, what? Where are you in developing a company? Well, we launched an ICO two weeks ago. We have to slow them down, slow backtrack, down. Right. kind of shut down the ICO until we make sure all our I's are dotted, T's are crossed legally, right. and we're filed correctly, even in the countries they're launching in, because they don't think about the ramifications for if their coin is possibly deemed a security in a comp- in a country or a jurisdiction. Mm-hmm. What blowback that could happen on the company? They could be massively fined, just like any other company. They could have to return all their money to investors. We're seeing a lot of that in the U.S. right now. I think there were two or three hundred companies right now under investigation that launched ICOs in the last year, year and a half, because they were given either incomplete or bad legal opinions. Mm-hmm. And now the SEC is saying, hey, you're a security. You show all the hallmarks of a security. Yeah. And these guys are waving this paper around from a firm saying, oh, they were deemed a, a utility. It's like, well, the way you marketed, the way you launched, the way you're running is not the uh, hallmarks right. of a, you know, a straight utility function of your token or of your project. So hiring good legal and competent legal is very important. We work with companies that haven't even gotten to an active status, right? We're still pre-beta testing. We're in alpha stages, and we're already in contact with uh, the Department of Revenue in the state of Colorado just because they saw the description of the company and what they do. So SEC and the state of Colorado are being very active pursuing the businesses that are engaging in this to make sure they're doing it on a compliant basis which is difficult, right? Because they've only issued advisory opinions. There's yeah. not case law. Right. Um, so the footing is, is of utmost importance. And just, just to mention, the case, the case law that is relevant is something called the Howey test, which is from the 40s and 50s. So it's not updated, <laughs> it's not updated but it's something we're mandated to follow, which is right. fine. We know how to apply it. We understand how to apply it. But meshing those with some of the advisory opinions that are coming down, they really don't line up at times. Yeah, you've got to, so you, going to be some yeah. So you have to have good legal because I would feel terrible for a normal business owner with no legal training to try to put these opinions together and try to mesh right. them because there's no way. Right. <laughs> it's just, you know. So would you say it's one of the best investments for a company looking to get into blockchain is, is legal? Legal and development team. Okay. Those are the two best things you can do. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm. Well, just to, to pick up one of the things you mentioned. So you mentioned security token, utility token. Obviously, there is a way that people can look at cryptocurrencies and blockchain as an investment vehicle. Yeah. But what's kind of the difference in terms of use between like a security token that someone wants to set up for their company versus a utility token? And like Joe said, what we have to go on is 1946 case law. (laughs) So you've got a four-step approach, uh, whether or not you're really investing in a common enterprise, um, if there's an expectation of return, how you market. So if you move forward on the securities, right, if you're Mm -hmm. actually opening to U.S. investors um, and you have to personally avail yourself to that, um, if you do get accepted as a security, you can advertise here and accept U.S. investors. Um, but you have to go through and, and essentially you're going to look at yourself as passing that test. And since we don't have any modern case law, um, we can use their advisory opinions on the Dow um, and Ethereum. Ethereum uh, yeah, Ethereum that just came out in October stating that it's a utility. Um, so looking at if the technology, right, paper is not money, but you can print money on paper. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you can utilize the technology as an investment vehicle, what you utilize that technology with will be a security if uh, deemed so by the security. Or you can go towards a utility aspect 
which is essentially stating that your token has a specific use within the infrastructure and economy, uh, the ecosystem that you've built, right? So right. Uh, the Binance token, would, in my opinion, would be a great uh, idea of that because if you use your Binance token through your trades on Binance, you get a reduced trade fee. Right. which is an exact utility in, some the, sort of incentive in the ecosystem that yep. they've uh, had. You know, you, you are able to kind of uh, find exchanges out there that are open to U.S. investors, but the SEC is actually actively shutting those down. Mm-hmm. And, and just to just upon that, uh, what, another great example of a utility token would be a lot of these stable coins that are developing that are pegged one-to-one, either the U.S. dollar or the euro or a regional currency, right. uh, because that has a straight mm-hmm. utility or a functional case and there's no expectation of profit on that. And that's something that's a vehicle to trade with for investors or to use as the kind of monetarily backside of crypto. Uh, because these coins are audited, they are made it's made sure that the money's in the bank to back them. Yeah. And they're usually released by bigger players in the industry. So that's kind of like one of the in vogue trends that's kind of that's happening right now. Um, but you have to be very careful, even when you say um, what was it, incentives? I think you use the word incentives. You got to be very careful on the back end because anything, just like a, a normal market, anything that's being incentivized yeah. will be looked at as a security, most likely, at least in this country. Right. And it's, it's also very tricky for U.S. investors because there are a lot of jurisdictions out there that are self-regulated still. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the reasons people are flocking to Malta is because it's the most regulated jurisdiction in the EU and mm-hmm. they released this three-part legislature. So a lot of people are flocking there because they want to be under the under the uh, umbrella of regulation because right. that's where more transparency. Yes, yeah, right. What can I yeah. expect is going to happen based on certain events? Right, and that's where the market's going for bigger investors. That you know, bigger investors feel comfortable with regulation, of course, and we all see the market trending that way. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas there's other jurisdictions, um, Belize, Estonia, just two off the top of my head, that are just self-regulation. It's kind of the wild, wild west of crypto still out there, and <laughs> it's kind of like anything you do and or say goes. But like I said, once again, you get a, a letter from an Estonian attorney saying, hey, my, my token's a utility. That's not going to hold much weight in the U.S. or Malta or Japan or, or jurisdictions that are more regulated. Yeah, so, so, so it seems that there's a lot, of, a lot of places where you just can't take something at face value. Correct. you got to really be able to pick something apart. Because even if I were to wake up and say, hey, I've got a bunch of money. I want to put it into you know, some sort of token. It's like, well... Mm-hmm. Where's it going to go? How are you making the decision? What kind of token is it? Is yeah. it something that is actually going to generate a return? Right. I think I saw a networking site that, that had their own token that they created that again wasn't monetary, but it would you you could essentially accrue tokens based on the size of your network on the site and based on volume of invitations of your friends that join the site as well. Yeah. So if I invite a million people, maybe I get ten tokens that I can use those tokens to like maybe you know, get discounts on membership fees or like access opportunities. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's a bunch of things that are not like investment return based. Right. Yeah, which kind of goes back to the, your last question or the previous question of what advice can you give to somebody that's just getting into blockchain, right? The advice we give is somebody starting a business in blockchain. Mm-hmm. We've known a lot of investors that unfortunately lost a lot of money in the last year and a half, but we've also known a lot of people that have made a lot of money. So do your research before you get involved with any of these projects. I mean, we're seeing coins come out that's uh, two members of the Wu-Tang Clan um, have their own coin, Ghostface Kill and ODB. That's very flashy, uh, yeah. Yeah. right? People a lot like, of big names are backing coins. People like to see that. Grammatic um, issued his entire record label on uh, cryptocurrency, yep. if I'm not mistaken, yep. two years ago, um, which was a huge, huge uh, undertaking yep. at the time, right? Um, so do your research before you get into these. Unfortunately, you don't want to pour your money into a place, like Joe said, to just lose it, uh, right? Yeah, you want right. to see it uh, come back with some, some reward. And, yeah, to be careful about that uh, as well. Uh, just 
keeping up on the news is very important because a lot of people in the crypto community think what's important is holding your coins forever or hodling. It's a, it's a common acronym um, that's been around forever now. And that is probably one of the worst things you can do unless you got into either Bitcoin or Ethereum really early and your, your, your gains, like I said, if you got in at three to five to seven bucks on Bitcoin, you have that luxury. If you got in last year, you know, it's down 70% this year or so. You have to learn the market. You have to learn how to short. You have to learn how to derivative trade. You have to learn how to option trade these things. There are sites out there you can trade. Uh, some of them are open to U.S. citizens. Some of them aren't. However, you need to understand how the market ebbs and flows. You have to understand what a dollar cost average is. You have to understand how you can make your investments more, you know, palatable to yourself, even if you are losing and where to get in. Maybe, you know, when to call it quits, how to use a stop loss, just all these things as an investor. That's on the uh, on the other side, like the trading side that we learned first, and it's really helped us understand the markets better and understand, you know, what to look for just in the market fluctuations because they're just right. so so volatile on a daily basis. I, I'm immediately thinking that as a general takeaway for most people, it would be good to assume that you know way less than you think because yes. there's so much nuance and complexity and novelty to this that. A person waking up and saying, I could totally trade. Mm-hmm. Like, even if you've got significant experience, mm-hmm. that experience wasn't in this type of market where you have, yeah. you know, dramatic swings in price, unlike any other markets. Oh, yeah, 100%. Uh, it took me months to be comfortable trading uh, just on the regular markets, and probably another six months after that to be really comfortable trading options or, uh, you know, trading things on margin. Because just like any other market, you have to learn how those markets work, and they're so much more volatile and so much quicker yeah. uh, than other markets. That a one percent loss in stock market could be a fifteen percent loss in Bitcoin. If you're shorting it, great. If you're in a long, you're in a little yeah. trouble. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. You know, yeah. and these markets don't fluctuate to uh, in parallel to similar markets. And yeah. I think it was a huge news break when Amazon stock fell three percent after somebody tweeted bad things about them. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas that day we were experiencing fifteen to twenty percent losses and right. being successful through those bear markets. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you see fifteen to twenty percent losses and nothing happens, three percent Amazon, everybody goes yeah, crazy. Right. So there's definitely that duality then as a trader and as a law firm where you have to separate one and do the other and kind of make sure your 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 investment personal investment is is safe at the same time. So it's kind of wearing dual hats in the same market and really getting a full global understanding of what's going on. Right. right. Well, so I mean Denver appears to be a very mature city and market for cryptocurrency and blockchain. How do you guys see the two kind of influencing each other, like Denver being influenced by this technology and then the technology being influenced by activities in Denver. I think Denver, uh, if you're not from here, you've already left your home, which makes you averse <laughs> to risk. Right. You're already an adventurer, right? You've packed your car and you've come here. So if somebody comes to you with an opportunity, you're not going to say no right off of the bat because right. you're already ready for to say yes. I think that is the biggest quality to make Denver more successful than any other city in the United States right now. You're seeing the tech boom. Uh, Google's in Boulder. We're seeing one of the first maybe exchanges in the cryptocurrency sphere be based in Denver, as in ShapeShift. Um, So I think that even aside from the uh, murky regulation that's come out from the SEC, Denver's there. And we also have everybody here from the cannabis industry. Mm. The way that the cannabis industry matured in Colorado, we were very strict to get a medical license. Right. And then you needed a medical license to get a recreational license. And then they eased up on that for uh, resident, uh, resident 
requirements for two to five years, right? Mm -hmm. And then they eased up on that. They did not want money just pouring into Colorado. Um, so you have a lot of people that have been in the cannabis uh, industry since it was illegal. Those people as well are also averse to risk. So cryptocurrency is here to disrupt banking, disrupt government, disrupt uh, everything down to your carton of eggs. And I think that Denver has the maturity to really embrace that and not necessarily say no just because it's different. Mm. I, I like that underlying base assumption of the average person in Denver because a lot of people are not from here. Right. We're getting a lot of people moving here from other places, right. which means they're the type of people that are bold enough to trust themselves to make a decision to go somewhere they've never been before. Exactly. That's and so right. you take that kind of psychology and, and way of looking at the world and all the opportunities that Denver has to present. Yeah. And these people are, I mean, I, I've, I've never been so excitedly zenned out living anywhere because there's so many things to do and pursue. Yeah. And the more resources you have, the more you can like just be on a yeah. perpetual nerd safari. You know, uh, that's absolutely, that's <laughs> absolutely what it is. I mean, so and true. I think that's why crypto and blockchain companies are so successful here. You have the technology, you have the developers, you have, um, you have all the parts of, you know, we have money coming here through the tech, through cannabis right. for, and people that want to start new businesses. Yeah. That's a big thing. Um, like Nick was saying, speaking about the tie in between cannabis and crypto and uh -huh. blockchain law. Clearly, as you can tell, we're also cannabis attorneys. He's just laid out a brief history of kind of what's been going on the last four years. It's uh, it's wonderful to see, though, because all these companies did start up here because people took those risks. And I think people were early investors in crypto, like 2009, 2010, 2011, right, right. made the connection, just took the leap, didn't panic when Bitcoin fell from 20 bucks to four or three and kept their investments in and right. kind of, you know, grew their thousands. Yeah. And grew, they grew their companies. And it's, yeah. it, it's, it's one of those things that's been awesome to see. We have crypto meetups here. We have uh, conferences here. We have you know a lot of representatives from here, from different companies and individuals oh, yeah. traveling to conferences okay. around the world. And it's really, it's really fantastic. Mm. Well, so again, new industry, it's very much kind of maturing still. There's got to be, and I've, I've met quite a few like 17, 18, 19 year olds that are looking at this and saying, I want to get into this. What are some of the pieces of advice or, or, or even things that you'd recommend that someone don't do if there's like a <clears throat> college kid who's like, I want to get involved in blockchain cryptocurrency. Sure. <laughs> uh, <laughs> first thing I would say, like anything else, do your research like we talked about before. Understand yeah. what companies you're investing in, especially a younger kid. They can be influenced by what Nick was talking about before, the music industry, the cannabis industry. There are these cryptos. Some of them really work out. Some of them are really scammy and they get yeah. shut down or suspended or... Mm -hmm. Hacked. We, we we put hacked in quotes because a lot of hacks that, in our opinion, are inside jobs because they're wallets that cannot be accessed except by employees and right. higher ups in the companies, and somehow millions go missing. And, and you know that that's the side of the industry that we that we right. choose to stay away from. And those are the companities we do not work with because we have a feeling when we do our due diligence as a firm right. about. Same thing for investing. Would you invest in a bad company that has a history of scammy employees, scammy CEO? Of course not. Right. So do that research first. But secondly, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of your of putting your money in because the five hundred dollars you put in today could be five thousand in a year. Right. I mean, it grows like that, and you know you have to look at it as a future, um, as a future investment, just like anything else. Because yeah. when kids, when you're 17, 18, 19, 500 bucks, a thousand bucks might be a lot to a lot of kids. Right. And it was to me growing up. I mean, yeah, absolutely. So it's, but it's something you have to be willing. Like we were talking about before, take the risk with it can go away tomorrow, but it can also. You know, if you just hold, if you hold on to it and trade wisely and 
play with the right tokens really make you very successful, very wealthy in the future. Fantastic. Well, I guess two more questions. The first one is, this is this seems to be a very information-dense place to operate. What are some of the resources, mentors, things that you guys are using to just organize, kind of collate and stay on top of, of trends? Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's very dense in information, and, and scraping the surface uh, seems hard. In <laughs> um, there are absolutely some crypto-specific um, news outlets. I, I'm always on Cointelegraph every morning. They have articles every half hour. Mm -hmm. um, so being able to find really where that is, I think that at this point in time, if you're looking at different news outlets, think about if they have if they're uh, based in a particular state or a particular jurisdiction. We live in a wonderful time now that crypto news is not really being politically influenced, yeah. right? We're just stating. A, it's amazing that that, that 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 is the case, right? Yeah. We don't notice it. No, we live in a time where we're unsure of what's true and what's not. Um, I think we both feel pretty confident in this industry that the small um, aspect of the community, reputation means more than anything mm -hmm. in the crypto sphere, right? Um, so if you're putting out poor legal advisories, if you're scamming your, your company, right? I mean, try and find somebody that's being hired from Mount Gox right now <laughs> with a clean resume, in, right. all, in all honesty. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, so really just try and, and take it one day at a time. Um, you know, we're, we're experts in the legal field of what we do, and it took us a very long time to even be comfortable to make trades on our own, right? So you're talking about a nine-month period that we pretty much hesitated uh -huh. on doing that until we put money in. Um, don't think that you can just drop money in somewhere and it'll grow. You have to monitor it. You have to be up on that. You have to do that. But, um, yeah, I, I would say just start with news outlets, figure out what jurisdiction they're from, and start mm -hmm. reading yeah. And just the veracity of news as well. Uh, a lot of people are influenced by Twitter, by Reddit, by things that uh, people are paid to shill on. <laughs> Quite honestly, there's no other way to put it. Uh, you got to block out the noise and really filter through you know, the white noise in, in crypto, more so than any other market, because we're still not fully regulated. The SEC will come down on you. The Elon Musk thing the other day when he was like, oh, I made my, my, my price 420 because I was smoking with my girlfriend. And then he got fined 20 million by the SEC. That's not happening in crypto. So they can they can say I mean they can say almost whatever they want still, and it's unregulated. Right. Uh, you got to filter through that noise, see what's real. Uh, a couple other good websites for information are CoinMarketCap.com. They have they list out all crypto companies that are functional mm. and some that aren't functional that they have to still pull down. Uh, market trends, prices, uh, one day, seven day, thirty day moving averages. It's it's a really good site. Uh, tradingview.com, also good for Forex markets, really good for charting. Probably the best one, and you can develop your own charting strategy on it. And then CoinG is another one that's very good to use. Outside of that, only use exchanges that are trusted. I like, personally stick with the bigger exchanges, with the Binance's, um, the uh, Hyobi, you know, the Amandala, uh, uh, because it's, a, it's actually a company we just put out, but it's based in Malta. It's fully regulated. Mm -hmm. uh, the the uh, exchanges over there have a little more weight to them, a little more oomph to them, and they are, um, you know, fully backed by regulation. Coinbase, of course, here, and Gemini, two big wallets and exchanges yeah. that are here. Uh, these are just good names to remember when you're getting into crypto, good things to trade through, and even if the fees may be a little higher getting your money onto there, your money's safe. It's not going anywhere, and it's a good way to start learning how to trade. Mm. Love it. Well, I guess a comment and then my last question. This is really cool because 
that there's this interesting underlying theme I hear behind what you guys are saying, which is don't be afraid to take your time putting together an effective framework for making a decision. Yeah. Don't just do stuff because it's impulsively cool. Right. Um, and I, I appreciate that a lot because, you know, anytime someone that obviously has the expertise that you guys have and is still operating with a sense of like meticulousness and patience, that just goes to show that for all the consumers that make RAS decisions, bad outcomes that are a result of those decisions are, 100%. I won't say entirely, but mostly the fault of the decision maker. Sure. Because um, if you didn't have an effective strategy, it sounds like you guys are very painstaking about creating good strategies. Yeah. You can't be surprised when, you know, the the market takes a shit on you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, for lack of a better term, you're right. It, it can happen every now and then. It can also spike suddenly. And you have to be ready for those plays. Um, right. But if that, I mean, leading into that question, that's if that's where we're going, sure. Developing a strategy, like Nick was saying, took us months to develop something. We were just on a regular trading market. And then we had to go into, like, options, margins, derivatives. That took a whole other set of months to develop yeah. an effective trading strategy. And once mm -hmm. you develop it, stick to it. That's one of the biggest things with the big swings in crypto. Overall, you got to make sure you're not, we have those people that look at the one minute, three minute, five minute charts. <laughs> right. The most useless thing you can possibly do is look at a chart under four to six hours, even if you're day trading. Right. Because it'll be, it looks like a schizophrenic drew on a piece of paper. <laughs> like, for, lack, for lack of a better term, it's serious. Yeah. You, you can't follow it. It goes too quickly. It moves too much. And it freaks people out way too much. Whereas if you zoom out, always look macro. That's the biggest advice yeah. I can give to a new trader. Always look macro and make your decisions off of that because you will generally be right if you learn the principles of trading. Mm. And in, in this particular industry, you see FOMO, right? A lot more fear oh, of missing sure. out. Oh, I missed December else. 2017. No. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. FOMO is a subjective understanding of where you think you are. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So just uh, right now, everybody is doing something in a business right. opportunity that all four of us would want to be a part of. Yep. Because we don't see that, we don't have FOMO. So this is, you know, if you're not a pianist, don't go book yourself a gig for tomorrow because you don't know how to play piano. <laughs> it's the exact same concept in trading, right? You want to take your time. If it's a business venture, you want to get a good team. You want to have great legal opinions. You want to make sure your ship is watertight so you don't mm -hmm. get out of the bay and sink. It's the exact same process, but with cryptocurrency, um, you, you guys are doing this podcast for two months. It's like you guys have been doing it forever since you're mm -hmm. in the cryptocurrency field. <laughs> yeah. Whereas two months anywhere else is a very short amount of time. Right. Um, so don't think that you can just jump into it tomorrow, uh, do yeah. your due, due diligence and as much of it as possible. And if you do invest money, make your peace with it before <laughs> yeah. it leaves your wallet because yeah. you may not see that again. Just, right. just to clarify my comments before, it does, um, you know, it does, the market does react crazily as we've talked about it. It goes an average of 10% a day up or down. It just depends where it starts, where it settles in that 10%. That's a huge swing for any other market worldwide. There isn't really another market like that. Yeah, that would scare people. And it, ter it terrifies people. It took me months to be comfortable with that. It took me months to look at a day where Ethereum goes down 18% and say, oh, okay, and right. not worry about it. And people are, people just look at me with this, this crazed expression like, how are you not worried? Right, it'll come back. And you'll make, yeah. you'll make poor decisions yeah. in that moment, yeah. too. And once you learn to be calm with that and understand right. how the market flows, that's yeah. the biggest thing you can do, and that just comes with experience and watching. So another good piece of advice is make dummy trades or $0 trades yeah. before you make real trades. See how those end up. Oh, yeah. See where you're comfortable starting, pulling, and what kind of percentages you're making on those. That will really help you. Fantastic. 
Well, so last question, where can someone learn more about either engaging with you guys and working with you, you know, kind of following your activities, et cetera? Uh, what's sure. the best way for them to do that? Uh, we've got LinkedIn and Facebook under Reben and Velvis. Uh, we've got a website, RebenVelvisLLP.com. Um, when you call us, you'll get Joe or myself. Mm-hmm. Um, we work directly with the clients. If you call Reben and Velvis, you'll get either Reben or Velvis. Um, so yeah, uh, general Google sh- search should turn us up pretty quickly. Um, but uh, our numbers may be listed on the podcast at any point in time. Yeah, we'll and, put in the uh, show notes. Sure. Anybody listening to this, feel free to give us a contact at any point in time. We'll be happy to get back to you that day. Wonderful. Thank you guys yeah, so thank much. You. Thank, thank you. Thank you for having us.